What's today's podcast all about? Well, we're visiting with Sangeeta Kalarikal in Minnesota, listening to her read from her book, Mamina, and discussing, amongst other things, what influences your writing. Things like culture, emigration, travel, and interaction with other writers. Email me and let me know what influences your writing. My name is Patricia, and this is the Poetry P Podcast. Welcome. If you like what you hear or see today, do tell your friends. Subscribe and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a few coppers to spare, perhaps you could go to buy me a coffee and make a donation or buy a membership with all its perks, all of which support the podcast and keep us creating content for you. Now today, as I said, we're off to Minnesota to meet Dr. Sangeeta Kalarikal and listen to her read from her book, Mamina. As usual, we don't just stick to the reading. We have a good old chinwag. I hope you enjoy it. Do email me and let me know. Sangeeta is a wordsmith. Her work has appeared in several journals and anthologies. And the poems in this, her first chapbook, Mamina, range from free verse poetry to haikai form. She's currently an associate editor of Drifting Sands High Bun Journal. And of course, she conducts the podcast Ripples in the Sand. So this is Sangeeta. Let's get to know her a little better. Sangeeta Kalarikal, welcome to P Towers and the Poetry P podcast. Today we're going to hear you read from your book, Mamina. But before we do, we're going to hear a little bit about you, if I can tease those things out of you. But just before we go on with that, I would just say there is going to be an author's bio in the show notes. So do go and check it out if I haven't managed to squeeze enough facts out of Sangeeta. Now, Sangeeta, I sent you an email, which I think you, you thought was quite funny. And I said to you, you're a very private person. Discovering you is very difficult. But here's what I know about you. And you could probably tell people why, you, uh, why you're laughing and why, why you, you thought the email was funny. I know that you are a physicist, you're a doctor, and you work in technology. Would you describe your job as creative? Yeah. So the reason why I was laughing first was uh, I'm, I'm known to be an extrovert and I get my energy talking to people. Uh, so, you know, the fact that, you know, you don't know, uh, you can't find much of was was funny. But I, I get that. I get that. I am not so much in the public uh, domain as yet, um, just because it's just been too to a couple of years that I've started putting myself out there on the social media, et cetera. So yes, uh, I was in I uh, I was in the research group in technology. So I would say that creativity came in very, very naturally. Uh, but I do believe that writing poetry or writing or any sort of creative work helps you in helps anybody in their non-creative, non-creative, I'm putting 
quotes, right? Uh, say technology or, you know, the teaching, whatever, you know, any other job, just because it makes you think, uh, uh, it trains you to think outside the box. And it was not just in my role as a researcher that I, I was, you know, able to put a tap into my creativity. Even when I was managing a group, I was, I was able to think outside the box, mainly because, you know, the creative stuff is going on in the back of my mind. So I have poetry to thank for, <laughs> thank uh, for, you know, helping me do that. Yes. Among other things. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there are lots of influences on, on Sangeeta. Now, I also think, and I could be wrong, but you live in the Midwest, in the mm -hmm. USA, in Minnesota. Yeah. You don't right. have the That's Minnesotan right. accent, which is almost <laughs> Canadian, I think, in some ways. Yeah, it's, it's the northern. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> you but... betcha. That's all I can say. <laughs> oh, bless. I didn't know that one. Okay. Um, but I don't think you've always lived there, have you, Sangeeta? No. Where, where else have no. you been? So um, I'm an Indian um, mm -hmm. by birth. Okay. And, uh, you know, my, in, in my cultural, uh, you know, tendencies. Born, I mean, brought up in Bombay. So most of my life I was in Bombay. I came to the U.S. for a PhD uh, in physics to Colorado, where I lived for a while. And uh, that, is, that is my main part in, uh, in U.S. that... Uh, uh, you know, I, I relate to Colorado. And then I uh, came over to Minnesota uh, for a job. So that's that's how. But Minnesota grows on you somehow, <laughs> you know. Even though it's cold six months in a year, it's almost like so our uh, winter, uh, spring comes in um, around Mother's Day, which is June. No. <laughs> yeah, and it's... it's yeah, usually it starts getting cold by November, beginning of November, end of October. Ooh. Though this year is different, of course, as we know. <laughs> wow. Um, I'm not sure it's the place for me, as people will know if they listen to me regularly. I'm not one for cold yeah. weather and I don't like snow. So <laughs> <laughs> Probably Minnesota I'd need to give a wide berth to, um, <laughs> at least during the winter months. <laughs> so let's talk about the cultural influences on your your writing mm -hmm. what have those been Sangeeta so as I said I was my main part in my life I was in Bombay and as you know Bombay is a melting pot of culture mm. so I was exposed to all kinds of cultures that you can get in India which in itself is a big melting pot right so many religions any religion in uh, in India, you'd find, I mean, in the world, you'd find in India. And definitely you'll find those in Bombay. And I I, I had lots of friends uh, because I'm an extrovert. So, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, that also helped me get a very uh, good perspective of differences uh, between cultures. So that was helpful. And then coming to the U.S., uh, for example, uh, the West, where I was in Colorado, was very different from the Midwest. You know, that's a cultural influence. Then I was able to spend some time in Berlin. So that was, uh, you know, so, mm -hmm. yeah. And we absorb culture, right? Wherever we are, we meet people. It's, it's so beautiful to interact with people of different 
origins and such. That's very yeah. true. So you were over in in almost in my neck of the woods in Berlin. Yeah. yeah. What what were you up to over here? <laughs> I was uh, a um, postdoc in at Fry Universität. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so that was that was great experience, um, and uh, made a lot of uh, German friends. Just just fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. That was that was a long time ago. No. Oh. <laughs> No matter. It's obviously very fresh in your mind because I oh, picked yeah. something that I'd really like you to read, Sangeeta. It's yes, from the Highbund Journal, uh, five issue 5.1, if people want to chase it up. Bäckerei und Konditerei. A short walk from U-Bahnhof is a sex shop with a single mannequin in the window along with a few bits and bobs. Housed in an unassuming building in a quiet residential neighborhood, the shop sits diagonally across a majestic old church with brickwork that had survived the war. I often think of plopping myself on a chair at a corner to count which building boasts of more people entering it. I wonder which morality strings in my own life I'm struggling to tug. Red light at empty crossroads, long solstice night. Red light at empty crossroads, long solstice night. When I read this one, I felt, as you've now told us, that you did know a part of Germany. And I did wonder whether it was Berlin. It's just the, the phrase you use. I often think of plopping myself on a chair. And I thought, oh, that's that's the sort of thing you would say if you were very familiar with it. I had a very strong picture in my mind at that point because I felt it was Berlin of you sitting, looking at the church. You know, the church that is was bombed out because I think that's one of the most striking places. Canal, yeah, yeah, yeah. just sitting there and looking at that and, and that's the image that came into into my mind what was what were you actually plopping yourself down and and looking at was it my church or was it a different church well that is what i wanted to do plop okay. myself on a chair mm-hmm. and uh you know because of the uh, because of the uh a contrast in my mind, it, there is actually probably no nothing to uh, no conflict. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, the way I was raised, these two images were complete contrasts. Lord knows why, and you know. <laughs> so this is what I wanted to do. I said, "Oh, I would like to know which one do people go to? Which how many you know more." How many uh, people go to the church versus how many go to the... It's just in my mind. But then the the crux of the matter is I was brought back to figure out what is it in me that makes me want to do that? What is the morality that I'm, um, you know, subject to that makes me want to sit there and do this thing? So... uh, you know, I wanted to mention that uh, 
this this was uh, from Berlin in 2006, so way back. Okay. Now, personally, going through a very tough time, personal struggles at that time, which I'm only coming to grips now that too slowly. I, I, you know, all these years, I couldn't even talk about it. But Berlin, with his, you know, it has such beautiful vibes and uh, helped me get started towards healing. And what struck me was how non-judgmental the city was. And it, it's and it was totally fine. If if you enter the sex shop and then you go to the church or the other way around, it doesn't matter. Nobody's going to judge you for that. And uh, that is that that was just awesome for me. And for me, the internal conflict was uh, how I was brought up, uh, you know, versus what the city had to, you know, open my eyes to. That was just amazing for me. So that is what I tried to put uh, forth in this uh, high bone. I don't know if it came across. <laughs> it's well, it it certainly gives us gives me another reason to go back and re reread and rethink about what you're saying here, because it, with me, I was more concerned with just being in Berlin because it's one of my favorite cities. Absolutely, oh, one of yes. my favorite cities. Yes. So now I'll go back and really reconsider what what you've said. But I wonder. I'm thinking. I'm taken back to my first day at university and I went to university in London. And although I am a Londoner, I was struck by something that the provost, provost had said to us when we were all joining for our first day as fresh freshers. He said, London is a very lonely city. And I can see, and I can see what he means now. Um, and I wonder if you've almost felt the same with Berlin and that being in such a city, such a big city where you are, because you are alone at first anyway, you're free to be yourself, the, the self you want to be, as opposed to yeah. the self that you were forced into probably in Bombay with its preconceptions of you. And certainly in my home, an Irish Catholic home, I certain preconceptions of what I should have been. So, even though I was only going up the road to London, I was free to to be myself, and and the big city allowed me to do that. And I, I just wondered if Berlin, it's that part of the, the healing process, if you like. Uh probably, probably. Though I do understand where you're coming from uh, with the big city and loneliness. Uh, you know. Uh, Bombay is a very, very big city, uh, probably bigger than Berlin, um, somewhat like New York. You know, you're walking along the street and uh, it's bustling. There are like thousands of people around you, but you're alone. Mm -hmm. You have that, you're carrying just yourself and probably everybody's so busy, they're, they're not even going to notice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that, <laughs> so I did, I did, uh, I didn't feel so alone in Berlin, though. Uh, I, I know where you're coming from uh, as to uh, it, one is being alone in a big city gives you a sort of a freedom to, uh, yeah, to be yourself. Mm -hmm. And that is that is so true. That is so true. Yeah. Uh, so long as you know what yourself is, right? Oh, That's, but I, I think it was... My my student years, I hadn't got a clue, but it was <laughs> it was very nice to just explore what 
what myself might become, as it, as it were. But anyway, we didn't expect to go down that road. Um, let's, yeah, go, no. <laughs> let's, go, let's go back to your, your writing. You actually only started writing Japanese short form around about the middle of 2021. But you've been published widely. It's you, you haven't just been published now as a haiku poet, a haijin. You've been writing other things, haven't yeah. you? Tell us yeah. a bit about that. Oh, yes, I've been writing since I was in fourth grade. <laughs> when, I, when I wrote my first uh, piece, which my family thought was a poem. Of course, it must have been a ridiculous one because I, I don't think they didn't even keep it. So I don't even know <laughs> what I wrote. I just remember it was about trees and they said, oh, poem, poem, and uh, made a big deal out of it. And then, uh, you know, kind of got into uh, writing a lot, um, creative writing mm -hmm. during my school years and college times and such. So I would, uh, you know, be on the um, college uh, magazine and was the editor for a while, things like that. So, yeah, that, but that's, you know, school and college. Sometimes I feel that that doesn't count. Uh, it does in a way, but. You know, I have lots of, yeah, lots of writing. Uh, I have been writing a lot. Uh, fiction, magical realism is uh, my preferred genre uh, in fiction. And, of course, poetry. So free verse is what I was writing. And then I was exposed to uh, haiku. Before, I used to write this 575, ridiculous. Those were I mean, I read them now and I'm like, ah, I want to tear them up into a wee bit of pieces of paper <laughs> and, and, you know, put them somewhere I never see again. But yeah, uh, and uh, it was during the inauguration of uh, uh, Triveni, which is uh, Kalara Mesh's, uh, you know, mm -hmm. great, phenomenal project, I should say. So I was there for the... Uh, inauguration and uh, that is where I heard uh, haiku first uh, real haiku blown away, mm -hmm. blown away and that's when I slowly started writing haiku. I think um, there is room for 575 haiku but they're so yes. difficult to write because they can sound so forced. And I, I, yes. I started yes. like you writing 575 and I look like you, I look back at them and I think, oh, I wish yes. I, I wish I couldn't see these, you know, take them away from me. But I'm just thinking, sitting here listening to you and thinking, maybe I should go back and actually write the words I would have liked to write mm. if I hadn't thought I had to write 575. So you know what? Right. When we finish here today, I'm going to get that old journal out and not worry, not not be really embarrassed about the horrendous pieces of work I did, but <laughs> just have a look and see if they can be redeemed. But well, maybe redeemed is a bit harsh. If they can be better pieces of work in a more contemporary style, shall we say. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great idea. I'll go ahead and do that too. Yay! With my <laughs> horrid stuff. No, so I feel that 575 is so much of a filler. We tend to put in a lot of filler syllables yeah. in. And that is that is the problem. Otherwise, 575 should as well work. Why not, right? Yeah, yeah, um, you're right. It's the filling. It's the fill filling we do. And maybe 
choosing the word because it's got enough syllables as opposed to being the word that we want and sticking in an adjective that we don't really need because we need to fill the the five. (laughs) five. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about your book, Mamina. And I want to start by reading a part of a review by Vidya Shankar. And she wrote, Mamina, Amma, Mother, Mai, Ma, Ami, Matha. Not sure I pronounced all those right. The emotion, the same world over. So now, would it be fair to say, Sankita, that the theme of this book is motherhood? Yes. You got that right. <laughs> so Mamina uh, is Slovak uh, cutification of mama or mother. I, I don't know if cutification is a legal word, but there you go. <laughs> so my husband is Slovak. And uh, yeah, and when I was uh, there visiting family there and, you know, kids would call their mom, Mamina, Mamina. I thought that was the cutest word. And I said, okay, my child should call me Mamina. Of course she never did, but that's another story. (laughs) But yes, so Mamina is about motherhood, but not just, it starts off with not just being about a mother and a child, that just that, but also about other mothers in our lives, like grandmother, like aunts, you know, who have taken care of us and, and people like that. And then uh, I trans, I go through, uh, uh, you know, these days, uh, me, I, me included, you know, we had a tough uh, uh, time having a baby. And I know a lot of my friends do too. I mean, it's, uh, it's almost like a, it's a thing at these times mm-hmm. to uh, have uh, a lot of troubles. Uh, having a baby so it 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 wreaks havoc on women mm-hmm. i feel women's mind so there's a little bit i haven't dwelled delved deeper into that aspect in this uh small chapbook yet mm-hmm. but uh, i have a teaser in that and then i go straight into uh, uh you know my experiences as a mother watching my kid grow mm-hmm. the first couple of years do you think you so, might go back at some stage when it's not so fresh and write something deeper about that experience? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I do have a lot of poems, but they all need to come together. And, you know, mm-hmm. writing a book is a little bit different from writing just individual poems because yes. they have to be strung together nicely. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm waiting for that string to come through (laughs) (laughs) take your time there's there's no hurry I I know exactly what you mean now this might be a good place to have our first reading from your book and what I the point I wanted to make and this one illustrates is it's not just haiku haiku senryu you've got haibun in here as well yeah yeah Yeah. I'd like to see a little bit about that yes please Uh, that um, I find that haiku uh, poets or haikus or haijin, they they are a very uh, elitist group. Uh, <laughs> How dare you? I mean, I, I find... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, a lot of the free verse uh, poets are like, oh gosh, maybe we can't enter that 
that circle just because, you know. And uh, we, there are not many, I mean, this, this is the truth. There are not so many haiku or haibun in literary magazines like Freeverse. Uh, it's starting to change now, slowly. But this is one of the things that I wanted to do is to bring together everything. Just the theme is important and not the form mm -hmm. uh, for this chapbook. And, uh, you know, I have a little uh, story that uh, after I put together this work, um, I was very nervous about doing this thing because not sure if form is important or not. Uh, is it a no-no uh, to mix up? So I, I talked to Sean O'Connor. And I said, oh, look, this is the problem. And he said, he had a look through the manuscript. He read it and he said, absolutely, you, you need to just go ahead with it. Mm -hmm. No second thoughts. Uh, I would stop worrying about the form and so on, okay. he said. And that gave me the impetus to go ahead. Yeah, like, he okay. was so encouraging. <laughs> he is one of, the, <laughs> one of our leading experts when all said and done. Um, but yes. I have a theory and people are going to get sick of hearing about my theory uh, at the end of this year, by the end of this year. But I have a theory that you don't see enough work, sort of, um, Jap English language Japanese short form work in, um, should we call it mainstream? I don't like the term, but it sort, yeah. of, it, it sort of works. Um, we don't see enough of it there because we as writers of the form don't take ourselves seriously enough. And you say mm -hmm. we, we could debate the importance of form all day long. I think form is important at the beginning of your writing career. And I've been told off for being a snob about this, but I think when you're learning <laughs> the the form, whether it's haibun, whether it's tanker, senryu, hai, haiku, you you need to learn the form and how it's how it's written. When you're familiar with that, then you can change. You know, you can change what you do. And we're going to see something of yeah. that, I think, in your reading today. <laughs> but my point is, if we do not take ourselves seriously, if we do not learn our form properly, then how can we expect other people to understand when we write it? Agree. We will discuss that a little bit more, maybe going forward. <laughs> Let's start with. Definitions, shall we? Definitions. Her niece was her first baby. Young, as yet unmarried, she was most excited with her sister's child, the doll that nature gave her. She bathed and dressed an excited five-year-old chatterbox, neatly tamed thick curls into two braids, wove stories to feed healthy meals to a hungry kid sang songs to lull tired eyes to sleep. Who said that the making of a mother is a privilege of the womb? Rice and sardine ball, an airplane landing in the mouth. Rice and sardine ball, an airplane landing in the mouth. I love that last image in the, in the poem there. Whether you're an aunt, a mother, a grandmother, parent of any kind, male, female, yeah. whatever, you know yes. where that one's coming from for sure. Yeah. Now, we're going to start in on the form already. 
because there's a debate about tense in Haibun. And in this instance, you've come uh, come down on the side of using the past tense. And I wanted to know why. Tell me, why did you do yeah, that? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I know. People like to sit, stick the, into the pres, in the present tense. And uh, most times it works and it's very, you know, it's, it's uh, very forceful, mm-hmm. present tense, I feel. Now, I have written this one in both. I had written yeah. it in both and when reading it out. And I, I just felt that uh, this one looked good to me, sounded better, I should say. And I wish I had a more technical answer for you, but no, I wrote this in both and this one sounded better to me, that's all. Uh, Do you think it would have worked better in present tense? Oh, I'd have to find it. I'd have to hear it in the present tense. But what makes me happy to hear is that you wrote both you considered oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. both, and oh, yeah. as we said in the previous, uh, after the previous reading, you knew what you were doing. It was a conscious decision about this. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's that's the important thing. So I'm happy either way if you know if if it was considered piece of work. So we're going to get into haiku next. Dia de los muertos. I towel bun damp hair, grandma style. Dia de los muertos, I towel bun damp hair, grandma style. Now I'm. It's what people can see. I have short hair, Sangeeta. What is <laughs> towel bun damp hair? I towel bun damp hair, dry. So, how, how do you do this? So this is very Indian. Okay. What you do is you will have, if you have damp hair uh, after washing your hair, mm-hmm. just don't go out because, uh, you know, you have hair, uh, water dripping off your hair. So you take your towel and wrap it around and put a bun, you you know, oh, at okay. the back. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I have seen a lot of people do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's kind of where I went. My grandma used to do that, of course. Yeah. Actually, my daughter who has very long hair does that, but it's, I'd never really put it into words <laughs> <That's strange. laughs> I, I didn't know how to call it that this is what I came no, up with that's, it makes perfect sense absolute perfect sense yeah. um, now we've already noticed that you you've gone to a different language for the title of this this book yes. and now you've yes. gone to Spanish so <laughs> and we've been to Germany so what's the connection with Spain with the Spanish in this oh. one Oh, no, no, no real connection other than um, the second language. It is the second language in uh, the US, of course. But here, uh, more than the language, I am actually referring to the uh, religious. uh, I don't know if it is religious or not. Um, Probably it's a cultural festival. The Day of the Dead. Mm -hmm. That's uh, it literally translates as the Day of the Dead. Right. Uh, And. In Mexico, um, what they do is that they would have uh, very nice, beautiful shrines uh, to people that have passed from their family. And they would make dishes that were their favorite dishes and uh, stuff like that. And so basically what you're doing is you're celebrating the lives of those who have passed and how it affects you. And I, I find that really comforting. And uh, that is uh, that is the festival that I was referring to. 
Now, we have very similar stuff in India um, mm -hmm. where we do respect our, you know, think of our elders it's in during a particular period in well right now probably this is the period of uh, during fall um pitrupaksh and you know you do all this but there is no such thing where you sit and reminisce about the people that have passed and do something which uh, connects you to them. And that, that's the stuff that uh, I was missing. And, uh, you know, it's very sad that all I could do was towel bun damp hair. <laughs> Not at all. So, <laughs> Not at all. It was, it was your was connection. Going. No, yeah. um, we have something similar. I don't know if it's still, I'm, I've, I'm not religious anymore, but I was brought up Catholic and uh, we have the, we have All Souls Day. Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. is, you know, sort of like that. But again, I don't ever remember sitting around and having a spit in a chat, as my family would say, about uh, <laughs> the, the dead and, and or, or cooking their favorite meals for, you know, to just to, to link itself with. So that's lovely. But I was really interested, and we're not going to hear the poems or the pieces that I'm referring to, but this this poem, if I remember rightly, comes between a poem of remembrance to your grandmother and a poem about a woman who has given birth. And I don't think the birth went terribly well, just you know, from the poem. So I wondered, why did you put this poem where it is between those two? Uh, so the poem after this particular uh, one, the Alvelas Motas, is uh, about the mother of us all, Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. And that is where I go, yeah, the birth has gone okay, but uh, not really. I mean, we're pretty much being very cruel to, <laughs> cruel to our uh, mother in that way. So the haiku leads into the poem uh, where I say, all I can do is towel on my hair, right? Mm -hmm. So similarly, uh, this is the state of earth we have right now. And... Uh, what are we doing? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, not much, can't do much. And, uh, you know, I, I tend to think a lot more. <laughs> I should probably stop that. But, and maybe it doesn't come through in my poems just yet. So, uh, so I apologize mm. for that. But it is a metaphorical response to what we are doing for Earth. Right no, I, I, I don't think you, you need to worry. I mean, I know other pieces of work outside this this book, and I think your thoughtfulness comes through. You, you really don't have a problem with putting that across, <laughs> I don't think. So thank you. Thank you for that. So should we have the next piece, Speech of Shapes? Speech of Shapes. Your eyes dart from shape to recognizable shape. Butterflies and treetops, daddy, Apples, Teddy, deep shades of hazel stare into the azure of the midday dome. Learning, relearning, words and connections, fast, so fast. The bald eagle swoops, a splash in stillness. The bald eagle swoops, a splash in stillness. Now, 
I think we've entered the realm of your own motherhood. Well, I feel like you, we've entered the realm of your own motherhood in this one. But to be honest with you, when I read it, it takes me right back to when my kids were small and uh, a very recognisable era in their childhood when, you know, they're picking up ideas and you know, almost they it's so exciting to watch them. They'll look at one thing and then something else will take their their attention, you know, all over the place. And it's it's just absolutely wonderful. As I say, it really brought back the joy of watching my own kids in their, their early childhood. So thank you. Thank for you. That. Thank you. No, thank you for now we're going to talk yeah. about form again. Uh, because you've done something okay. else. <laughs> Would you like to tell because um I will put the the poems uh, in slide form in the show notes, but and I think it comes through in the reading, but perhaps Sangeetha, you could explain what have you done with this haibun? Ah, uh, don't call this a haibun. Uh, I was, please, he will. Yeah, <laughs> I was going. That was going to be another question. Would you call it a haibun, or how would you describe it? You know, I'm still a little bit traditionalist, so I would not call this a haibun. Okay, but it is a legitimate form. Uh, the way the prose came to me was in this form. Okay. It, this is how it spilled out. And this is like uh, not too much editing. Mm -hmm. So this is how it came. Um, the, the, the poem, uh, I would call this just a poem. So the prose part came in like a free verse. Mm. And then there had to be something after fast, so fast, which gave it that punch and that closing bow, as I, as you will, uh, I had to bring in the image of the bald eagle mm -hmm. swooping down uh, for its uh, midday meal, you know. So I, I wouldn't call this a haibun, it's just a poem. But yeah, people have started doing that uh, in yep. the realm of haibun these days. They, or maybe they've always been doing that probably, you know, have a prose, uh, have a prose in form of a free verse yeah. yeah. Not yet seen any villanelle or uh, anything else. <laughs> oh, let's hope Sean's not listening to us. <laughs> now, thank you to the next three pieces. Superbly illustrate what Caitlin uh, Jans, I'm not sure of the pronunciation again, said in her review of your book. And I'm going to paraphrase here. She essentially says that this wonderful chapbook is grounded in the joys of becoming and then being a mother. So perhaps you could read them to us and I won't interrupt you while you do that. So I will read uh, the three three pieces, two high bone and one hike. Zipping along a curve. And this was published in Drifting Sands High Bone uh, in January, 2022. She starts crawling a bit later than babies in the family. Apprehension at familial competition melting and guffaws bubbling out from our throats, we watch her move. Crawling is probably an exaggeration. Little paces with one knee and one foot. Somewhat strange, perhaps, but it gets the work done. She's all over the place and a little underfoot. Propelling herself a few paces in a hurry, she hears our laughter 
and stops. Eyes twinkling, she glances at us and then continues rushing on towards nowhere in particular. She gets there. She gets there fast. Rain puddles under tiger lilies, mud in her toenails. Rain puddles under tiger lilies, mud in her toenails. Tailwind. Children are sponges. They watch everything, learn from everyone and absorb all. And then with an infinite lack of inhibition, they add their imagination. We who have left our childhood lanes long behind, stand on the sidelines and watch them soar. Mama, look, airplane is mowing the sky. Contrails. Mama, look, airplanes is mowing the sky. Contrails. My daughter and I harvest marigold seeds. Summer dreams. My daughter and I harvest marigold seeds. Summer dreams. Thank you, Sangeeta. And uh, you. you're Thank the you. first one um, zipping along a curve. It really made me laugh because I could understand, you know, crawling a bit later than the babies in the family. Oh, nightmare. Um, I have to tell you, my eldest son never did crawl. Went straight oh. straight from sitting on his bottom to walking. Oh, wow. No in between. No in between. Uh, and thankfully, he went early, I think relatively early into the walking stage. But it's because my father, who was so joyous at having this first grandchild, he would spend most of his life in my house, basically, with my son. We, and thank goodness that he did. He had that time with him. And anytime my son wanted to go anywhere, he'd just go like that with his <laughs> arms and my dad pick would pick him up. up. <laughs> so consequently, he never did crawl. But there you go. But he didn't need to, right? He didn't need to. And no worries because he now runs marathons. So it's not. <laughs> didn't hold See, him there back. there you go. <laughs> But there you go. Well, that's, I mean, sadly, um, we're nearly finished. And Sankita, you've written these, when I when I hear you read them, when I read them myself, you've written them from a mother's perspective, mostly. But I think, as I said before, any parent, grandparent, and as you mentioned, aunt, uncle, will nod their head knowingly when they read these. And the experiences are going to remind them, as they did me, of the joy of having or being around this small child. And I hope, like me, when they've read the book, they'll put it down with a smile on their face, Sangeeta. It's yeah. lovely. Thank you. Now, we're not quite finished. This might be a good time, though, for you to tell me, where do you get the book? Where can people buy the book? So this book is available uh, on Amazon mm -hmm. in the US as well as in India. Mm -hmm. And uh, with this, however, anybody elsewhere, um, if they want a copy of this book, uh, please write to me. I will make sure that you get one. Okay. Uh, so uh, my, I can give you my email ID to 
put in the show notes maybe thank you yeah that would be great so all the all the details on how to get hold of the book will be in the show notes including how to get hold of sangeeta but before i let you go sangeeta could you please read a piece that we published in the poetry p journal 123 Thank you so much for publishing that. That was one of my favorite. The still dark lake I extend into another me. The still dark lake I extend into another me. And it struck me, I mean, I loved it when I read it anyway, but obviously, or we wouldn't have published it. But having read the book, it made me think again. And I wondered, does this poem reflect what motherhood brought to your life or the struggle for motherhood, maybe? In a way, yes. Uh, but the second and the third line only uh, has a slant slant reference uh, to motherhood and my daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is actually an extended metaphor uh, to us, uh, you know, to what my past is. Uh, you go through dark times, mm-hmm. but you need that stillness if you don't have the stillness, you cannot, you cannot see yourself. And yeah. that is, that is where I was going with this. It does, in my case, it does, you know, imply my journey to motherhood mm-hmm. may not in a lot of people's cases, but yeah. 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 It struck me on first reading when I, when it first came into my life about going through dark times yeah. And the stillness, but as I said, when I read the book, I wonder. And then listening to you, I wondered if if it had anything to do with with motherhood. Well, that's it. Very sadly, don't forget go and have a look at Sangeeta's author author's bio and the details on how to get the book on the show notes. Sangeeta, thank you so much for spending time with me today and giving us a snapshot into the work in your book. Mamina. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Patricia, for having me here and uh, letting me uh, get on my soapbox and uh, talk about certain things and also highlighting my book. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, now, that was a real pleasure for me to record for you. I hope you enjoyed it too. There are lots of details in the show notes this time do go to the website and check them out. And of course, let me know what you think. I can't do a better job for you if you don't feedback. And do please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Help me to spread the joy of our poetry form. And I have one more thing to ask of you. Our dear editor, Lorraine Padden, is leaving us in May. And I wondered which one of you would like to fill her shoes. Maybe there are a number of you. Anyway, if you think you'd like more details, email me. We'd love a new addition to our editing team, even though we're going to be really sad to say goodbye to Lorraine. So next time, I'm going to have more of your original poetry to read to you. Do join me. But of course, until then, keep writing. And if by some chance 
and we all know there's a fair chance I've left something out of the show notes, do get back to me by email and I'll sort it out for you. Ciao.